Hi, this is Tokyo US brand manager Ian Harvey. I'm here with Gus Shoemaker. Gus is the defending world junior Nordic ski champion and US national skate sprint champion. He's also at this moment, the current second ranked in the world in world U23, which is exciting and remarkable. I did a series of three interviews with him earlier this year to sort of introduce him and give people a chance to get to know him. This interview is to simply catch up and get his thoughts on the recently finished Tour de Ski where he hits an outstanding racing. I guess, thanks for taking the time to talk with me. Uh, the Tour de Ski ended on Sunday in Val de Fiamme, Italy. Congratulations on some amazing races. Um, of course, we're going to focus on the Tour de Ski, but where are you now? Uh, Sizeralm, Italy. And um, are you rooming with Boulder still? I'm with Scott now. Oh, you with Scott. Did, did uh, him tipping you by half a second and that sprint qualifier break you guys up or what's going on with that? Yeah, we haven't talked since then. <laughs> cool. Um, well, thanks for being here with me. Uh, this is great. And I'm excited that this is going to be a good conversation. Yeah, should be fun. So the Tour de Ski started with its first three stages in Valmustere, Switzerland, which is a valley located in the eastern corner of Switzerland, separated from Italy by the Stelvio Pass, which is pretty famous because a lot of people ski there in the early fall. Valmustere, of course, for cycling as well. Valmustere is where Dario Colonia is from, which is why they started having events there. Your first event was a skate sprint where you just missed qualifying for the heats. Your roommate, Kevin Bolger, I, at this point, I guess, ex-roommate, took the last qualifying spot and finished just three tenths of a second uh, in front of you. You look good to me skiing. How did your race go? It was good. Yeah, that venue is at about 5,500 feet. So it was, and it was a longer sprint than we've been doing. So it was interesting, like playing with pacing a little more than like you would in Dresden or Davos. Uh, but yeah, that was a fun race and it was a good kind of warm up for the week. Cool. So, so I wanted to talk with you about altitude. The next day was a 15K classic mass start. Valmostera is right at the top of the fifth altitude limit. The courses aren't as steep as, for example, Val de Fiamme, but then again, it's higher altitude. Did you think much about the altitude and have a plan to manage your pace or just pretty much go out and ski? Yeah, definitely. Especially because like it was pretty gradual, but the work sections were super long. So like on that 3.3K or whatever it was, the first six minutes from the stadium was just one long climb. And it wasn't super steep, but it's just a lot of time working and at altitude you need to make sure that's a pretty steady effort and doesn't go over your uh, like aerobic threshold or anaerobic threshold, I guess. So how did you, you were just pretty much just pay, uh, careful not to redline it too much on that long, long climb because once you, once you go under, it's hard to come back from it. Yeah. And it was a little difficult because it was a mass start that first day. So, I mean, you still have to take your own feelings into consideration, but less so than in an interval start you have to like in a master, you have to respond more to people around you. So I ended up going into some trouble with that. And just like the, the, uh, the distraction of a pack can uh, make it hard to focus on your own, like your own physical responses, I guess, or harder than interval start. So I ended up in hindsight, uh, losing track a little bit of how hard I was going. So you ended up 36th, and, and like I said, that was a 15K classic mass start. 
Um, have you guys got any other comments on the race? It was kind of funny. It like started off pretty easy and then like gradually ramped up a little and then really ramped up in the last like 4K or something. And I'm just shocked how much time Bolshnov put into everybody in that much time because it was it was a 15K race, but the pack was still together for at least the first half. And there was still a sizable group until three quarters of the way through, but he made a, made a statement there, but yeah, that was a, it was a fun race and it was fun to do a mass start. That was the first mass start I think of the season. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Cool. Your third day of racing in a row in Valmoster was a 15 K skate pursuit based on the first two days of racing. You had the 28th fastest time of the day and finished in 32nd. You skied in a group of seven to eight skiers for most of the, or much of the race. How did you feel in the pursuit? Pretty good. I definitely, that day I was uh, thinking a lot more about managing my effort over the top of that climb because that, that like sneaky top, like kind of flattish part was what got me the day before. So that day I was my biggest goal and focus was to like look, try to look at my heart rate and my watch and think about how hard I was breathing and just be more conscious of where that red line was and to not cross it and save more energy for the end. So in that skate day, that skate pursuit, that much of that climb seemed to be kind of between V2 and V1 technique, especially at high altitude, you gotta be careful about using too much power. How did you, you've got a really good climbing V2, very powerful and I think quite an efficient technique. What did you, how did you manage that climb in terms of splitting it up between V1 and V2? And did you err on the V1 side, you know, more conservative or how'd you play that? I definitely didn't like focus on pushing the V2 there. I was more focused on just like keeping it as smooth and easy as I could and more focused on like my like how I was feeling physically than like what I was doing technically. Cool. There was something Bolshinov did, which I found was interesting. He was making noises on the TV, like he was working his tail off on that long climb. I don't know. Um, but what I did know is he was losing time to the chase pack on the climb every lap. And then once he got over the climb, he was hauling ass on that downhill, working, working all the sections super hard, like sprinting. And he was making about 12 to 15 seconds from the top of the course to the bottom in the stadium every lap. And then they'd catch, you know, make about the same amount on him on the, on the climb, which was a, which is interesting. So it looked to me like he was climbing more conservatively and that's what he looked like, but he was making noises like he was working really hard, but he didn't look like he was working as hard as he sounded. And like I said, he, had, he was, he was sprinting the whole way down that, the, the, from the top of the course to the bottom. What did you, what do you think about that? I think that seems smart, especially if like, like you can just look at him. You could tell he's a more powerful, like dynamic skier, which doesn't necessarily serve you at altitude. So I think for him to have a approach to the hill in that, like just being very careful to not go over the line and maybe, I mean, it's hard to say how he felt, but like if he was going slower up the climb relative to those people, I mean, you saw him in like in the hill climb, he was fine. Like he's not bad at, right climbing but for him to stay five percent clear of that red line and not just be right on it on the hill so he can 
use his power on that downhill. Seems like a smart tactic for him. Yeah. That's what I saw. He was losing 12 seconds, 15 seconds every time from the bottom to the top. And he also looked really controlled, really controlled. You know, like, you know, some guys who are really good skiers, they look like they're doing a distance ski and they're hauling ass. He looked like that, you know? And mm. then in the downhill, he looked like he was doing a, a sprint race qualifier, just flying mm-hmm. and wasting energy. But of course, there was energy to burn in that long downhill. So it was a pretty interesting tactic as far as from my perspective. Yeah. So then you, you right after that race, you all packed up and traveled to Tobloch, Italy, which is a very scenic drive normally, three hours approximately. First question is, were you able to enjoy the scenery? It was um, Bolger hog in the window. So yeah, that was post, uh, post that sprint where he beat me by half a second. So we had to go in separate vans. Oh, that, that's so I was able to take it in. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think? That was pretty, uh, pretty awesome scenery, huh? Kinda. Yeah, it's cool. And it was snowy the whole way, which was like, I think Bolzano isn't always super snowy, but all the, like the vineyards and stuff were covered in snow and it started to get dark by the end. But uh, yeah, it's a cool drive. So on your travel day and your subsequent day off from racing, do you detach from skiing and, and like shut off the, the focus for the tour de skier or do you find it's important to continue to maintain that focus? I didn't really shut off the focus much that whole week, which is something I really noticed afterwards. Um, I think that I didn't really consciously try to focus super hard the whole time or disconnect. Like normally I kind of like disconnect when I feel like it. I just kind of do what I feel like generally. Um, but I felt like I really wanted to be ready for the next day and ready for each race. So yeah, I didn't disconnect much, but at the end I like, once we were in the van ride home from the hill climb, I was like, whew, wow, okay. <laughs> like, I, I felt like I was kind of shutting down. Yeah, I mean, as much as you're into it, obviously there's a, a toll for maintaining a focus for a 10-day period like that, where you're constantly recovering and preparing and recovering and preparing. And, you know, that's basically all, all that's going on all day, every day. So, um I imagine there is a toll and, and now you're kicking back a little bit and, or are you recovering from that mentally as well as physically? Yeah. And I think when I say that I was focused that whole time, it doesn't mean that I was like visualizing and doing everything the whole time. Like I just like had those races kind of on my mind always, even if they weren't like at the forefront, you know, I was still like watching Netflix and chilling out, but to finally be like clear, like not thinking about racing at all. I noticed that I definitely was thinking about racing that whole time. Yeah. I mean, in a tour like that, you're, you're either preparing or recovering pretty much constantly. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Tobloff seemed to agree with you. You had two yeah. there, both of which were probably your best results to that point. Can you please describe the course and what was different for you and Tobloff compared to Valmuster? Toblock was a lot more of like a, like a world cup course, I guess is how I'd describe it. Just in that it like, I guess it did have a lot of like kind of weird flat sections around the stadium, but it did have more rolling hills. Like there were some hard climbs, but there were like climbs, small recovery, climb, big recovery, little climb, little recovery. So it was like more 
more transition compared to the long grind that's yeah. almost airhead. Yeah, not as much as a of a grindy course. It also is like two thousand feet lower, I think, in elevation, something like that. So it definitely was more like dynamic skiing. It was more fun, like yeah, more fun skiing. I thought. I think some people probably like the slow stuff, but it's fun to feel faster. So the first event that you had was an interval start, 15K ski. You started fast and finished in excellent 14th place, only 51 seconds behind Alexander Bolshemov. There were some pretty long, long, pretty gradual hills in that course. Uh, one of the cameras was next to the probably the longest gradual hill in the course. Some of which many skiers did a V2 on. Uh, Graz, for example, the Italian skier and Beloff, they, they V2'd up that whole thing past the first timing check and video. And then it got steeper and they beat you that whole thing. I know you were really good at V2ing um, steep hills. In this race, I saw you skiing really well, but you also seem to be maintaining a calm and focusing on efficiency rather than powering through the course, at least on that section. You started to use a V1 earlier than you might have in other races from what I've seen. Was this a conscious decision to try to ski as calm and efficient as possible? Yeah, I think... I just never, I was focusing, yeah, a lot on just skiing easy, especially that like first lap and first time up that hill. Um, so yeah, I didn't want to push that V2 a ton. I've also been focusing more on like using my legs a little bit more in skating. So I generally have been switching to V1 a little earlier. I've noticed just in that kind of like lower skate and these are tiny changes, but yeah. yeah, I've noticed that. And, uh, yeah, because v, v, going V2 up a steep hill, you use your arms a lot in the upper body, just like getting your weight up high on the poles and dropping down. Definitely, but your climbing V2 also uses a whole lot of weight. You, you kind of crunch and use your use your legs together a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, I, I I, that. In, your, in that race, the, the first timing check, you were V1ing and you were definitely lower and using more power, but you were also calm and efficient. And I think you would have beat through that section another day. It looked to me. Yeah. Anyway, tell us about your race. Yeah. Um, the focus was similar to other distance races in that, like that first five minutes, I wanted to feel easier than uh, I felt like it should be. It always like seems pretty like to go at your steady race pace feels a little easier than it should be um and yeah I got to that first split and they said I was tied with Graz or whatever and I definitely felt like I'd gone pretty easy so that was encouraging uh that I was skiing quickly yeah um, it was really and then fast. the first few minutes was really fast yeah so like like I said I was probably even skiing a little too fast um even though it doesn't feel fast and then I was kind of cruising with the guy ahead of me for the second lap um that was a three lap yeah i think that was three laps maybe it was no it was four whatever i was yeah. cruising with the i cruised for the middle part and then spitzov caught me i think he was lapping so it wasn't a pure third second catch although he beat me by more than 30 seconds um yeah he caught our group and then i got a little ride down with him that felt a little too slow but i think uh he was probably working a lot harder than me. And then 
on my last lap, which was his second lap, maybe it was a three lap course. Um, he pinned it up the hills like so fast. I was like, how are you doing this? You have a full another lap. I was on my last lap, so I was able to hang on and I had, I had skied the middle pretty conservatively. So I was able to finish fast. Um, but yeah, <laughs> he really dragged me in for a fast last lap. I think my last lap was actually faster than Bolshinov's by a, a slight margin, which Jan is quick to point out. Huh. Um, but yeah, that was the ride definitely helped that race, but I think I did ski a smart race and it was fun to finish feeling like I executed that pretty well. Did it give you confidence to ski behind someone who was going so incredibly fast and, and to be able to do it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I bet. So <clears throat> the next day you raced in a classic pursuit, which is based only on the previous day's results. And you finished again, an excellent 15th place. Again, you were skiing in a group. This one contained Dario Colonia, Francesco De Fabiani, and Alexander Tarentev, one of the world-leading younger skiers such as yourself. Can you please describe your race and how was skiing with these other great skiers? Um, it was good, yeah. Uh, we I started around a bunch of Germans, and then that group slowly grew, mostly over the first lap. And it's a course with a lot of like flat, fast skiing, so it was pretty easy to ski in the pack, and then the effort was noticeably harder up the hills. Nothing. We didn't move around too much for a lot of the time. We could see the Russians ahead of us. And then they, I think on their last lap, they put some time into us, but yeah, I ended up not leading too much. I led up some of the hills and then I led on the last lap, like through the stadium and in the flat section after the stadium, um, which I think hurt my finishing speed, but they were, the guys in front had led a lot and were pulling up and I was like, I haven't led much yet. So I'm just going to take it kind of to be, to keep us clear of the next group and uh, whatever to help out a little bit. And going up that, that first hill was definitely hard. And I lost the time on that group kind of in the final gradual, like double pulling section. Um, but yeah, that was a, also a fun race to ski with a pack and, move around yeah super and it was a great great race obviously <clears throat> after the event you you all packed up and drove to Prisdazo, which is the main town in val de Fiume. this is a gorgeous drive it takes about two hours and 20 minutes normally how was the travel and uh how did you spend the the next day which was your second day off from racing the travel actually kind of sucked because i was uh after that pursuit i was pulled for anti-doping so i had to wait two hours after I finished my cool down to take blood. So I ended up getting there later than the other guys. It wasn't that bad, whatever. Um, and I didn't, it was dark. So I just chilled in the back and listened to music. And then I got there and that training day was uh, good. Tested some skis really slowly. Checked out the courses, skied the uh, Marti Longa trail a little bit. Uh, that was the, that second rest day was more of a rest day though. I needed that one more than the first rest day. <laughs> so on the Valdefiume rest day, you didn't go out on the race course. You just skied the. I did. I tested skis on the race course and then just cruised on the flat stuff. Were you surprised by how steep the hills are? Not really. They're, they're it's definitely kind of a hard course, but the hills are not that steep. Cool. There's been there's been steeper hills. Uh, they I think. 
it has a reputation and there are some steep hills, but it's not outrageous. Where are there steeper hills? Ooh. Ruka, <laughs> for sure. Ruka, it? for sure. Yeah, Ruka. Mm -hmm. um, for this year, yeah. And uh, actually, Oberwiesenthal had some way nastier hills than Val de Fiemme on the long the 5k course like at Kincaid are there any hills the steepest the steeper hills in Val de Fiume I mean probably some like little kickers but Kincaid's hills are so short that whatever you don't notice it that much which is I guess similar to Val de Fiume those hills are there are some steep ones but they're not that long hmm. cool so in Val de Fiume there are some interesting and very different courses from Mount Valmoster and Toblach there are hills that are super steep, which can sap your power quickly. At the same time, the finish is famously tactical. And if you have a draft and fast skis, you can come from the back and pass everybody into the finish, as we all saw as well. But that's, you know, that's been going on for ever since they've had races there. There's nothing new. Mm -hmm. Can you comment on the course in Valde Femme that you, that you all skied in the 15K Classic Mass Start, kind of tactically what you were thinking and, and so on? Yeah, my goal for that one my bib was still pretty high as far back. So I just like wanted to relax as much as possible in the beginning. And that meant, you know, letting some people buy me if they were really frantic and kind of drifting back towards the pack. But that is a course. It the, the hills are pretty steep still. And there's a lot of them that come right out of downhill. So there were some really big like accordions going on with the field. So the back of the field skis onto the tails of everyone in front of them. And then, there's like sometimes some pileups and stuff. So I think a big part of relaxing for me was just uh, anticipating those and kind of just like pulling up earlier than I normally would in a hill. And then obviously it, it feels like a very fast acceleration out of the top of the hill. And I've also tried to not accelerate as quickly as the people in front of me were out of like the, the dead stop on the hill. Cause you didn't need to, it was a waste of power. Huh? Yeah, I mean, you need to to keep your spot if you can. Um, but I wasn't super worried about keeping my position. So to me, this was the race from the entire treated ski that impressed me the most uh, from your entire season. I mean, it was, it was, you showed me a lot. You showed a patience that was remarkable. You started number 33. So you were in a start position that was about two thirds towards the back of the pack. In such a mass start, a normal concern, especially when someone is faster than their start position like you, your concern would be to lose contact with the leaders such that when the pack breaks up, they're far enough ahead that catching them is pretty much impossible. This results in fast athletes starting behind, skiing in a hectic, stressed, and inefficient manner, trying to make up ground in the pack to gain contact with the leaders before things break up. You did not do this at all from what I've saw. You stayed calm and efficient and didn't waste energy or power while in the pack. When things started breaking up, I saw you often as the last man in the lead pack that was making the break for the first two laps. When the final lap started, you then skied very strongly and showed your strength and were even in fifth place for quite a while. You ended up finishing in eighth place, just 11 seconds behind the winner, Alexander Bolshinov. Can you please describe your race and any decisions that you made while you were out there? Yeah. Like I said earlier, like I was just trying to conserve for the first part. And part of that thinking was um, I wasn't worried if Bolshnov and some 
of his teammates skied off the front because I like realistically probably wasn't going to be able to handle that pace anyway. So I was just relaxing farther back and yeah, just, I mean, it played pretty well to that, uh, that tactic because I guess I anticipated, you know, as any of those races go on, it starts to spread out and then it's easier to pick people off because there's space and you just have to go a little faster. So yeah, it just started to spread out and I, I was feeling good. So I was able to work up and, uh, yeah, even more. And it was cool. Like on that lap coming into the last lap, it was still not a super fast pace. And I was like, there's only two and a half K left and I have energy. Like no matter what the pace does, I'm going to be able to do something here. So that was fun. Yeah, that was, that was fantastic. That was really impressive. You want to talk about the last lap? Um, you were in fifth a lot of the time. You ended up in eighth, just 11 seconds out. But there was a lot going on there and a lot of tactics, too, for sure, the last half of the last lap. Yeah, I, I mean, I sort of surprised myself skiing up into, like, the begin the front there because, like, I was – I think my best place was in fifth or something like that. But with 2K left – Bolshan was directly to my right. I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, there was still a lot of people behind us. Like it wasn't like me and Bolshanov fighting each other. Like the whole lot of the pack was still there. Um, so yeah, I was just trying to stay as close to the front as I could. And there was a pretty big downhill before the last uphill, which is before the downhill in the stadium. So going to the top of the course, I was, I pushed it pretty hard and anticipating that recovery. And then in the recovery, I think I was still fifth or sixth. And then on that last uphill, I wasn't fully recovered and lost a couple spots at the top, but yeah, it was a fun time. Yeah. I guess I also got passed by two Russians on that tactical downhill. So it was used against me, but <laughs> <laughs> I still finished happy. So, <laughs> so, in these interviews, one thing I like to ask older, successful, retired athletes looking back at their career is, was there a moment in your World Cup career where you thought, hey, I can compete with these guys? It seems to me this was a, like that day for you. Yeah. Yeah, I think going back and telling myself in our last interview after Davos or Dresden or whatever that I was going to get a top to an eighth place in the tour would have really helped me switch my confidence over. Um, and it has now, obviously, like just like in my mind, I thought like, I think it was important that I kept thinking that I could do that, but um, for it to actually happen is like, kind of proves it to you that you can ski up there. And uh, Jesse told me today, if you can get a top 10, you can get a win, which I guess means maybe once some more things align, you can change that 11 seconds, I guess. But uh, yeah, that was, I think that was probably pretty big for me, bigger than I think it was now. It's my guess, but yeah. whatever, who knows. So the final day was the famous climb up the Alps or Nice. You finished 19th place, just a minute 14 behind Dennis Spitzel. Awesome job, of course. For the most part, and disregarding the five and a half, approximate five and a half case of flat where everyone was together going into the hill, this was a 20 minute race up an Alpine hill. Despite the hard effort only being 20 minutes 
the climb is so steep that if you redline it and overdo it, it's very difficult to regain your composure and ski well. Can you talk about your experience in the Alps or Mies and any decisions you may have made during the climb? Yeah, it was kind of funny, I, especially as we were getting closer to the bottom and like I realized no one was working that hard. This is basically just like an uphill test, which obviously, yeah, it's the final climb. That's what it should be. Um, but I also I had a similar tactic skiing up to it and then I didn't want to like burn energy getting through the pack. But once we hit the bottom of the Alpine Hill, I realized it was a lot harder to move up through the pack than I thought it would be because everyone's skiing so wide and there's two rows or something. So it's, it was actually pretty hard to pass, which made it made the like first third harder than it would have been if I was already near the front, but it made, I mean, the beginning was pretty easy. So yeah. But then it was, yeah, like you said, you, it ends up being like everyone talks about it being such a hard race, but you cannot go over that line. Otherwise you're going to lose minutes, you know, like you don't have any momentum to keep you kind of going. Like if you stop, you stop. <laughs> so I was really careful about making sure I didn't flood with lactate. Um, and yeah, I just tried to stick on and move up and, I think it went pretty well. I didn't have, I was a little flooded for the last sprint. So I lost, I kind of lost, was last in the little group that I was in, but at least I was in that group. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was fun. So did you do the so-called coaches skate in any part of the uphill or were you, uh, be wanting those sections? I coached skated a little bit, partly because there was a little bit of an accordion even. Hmm. So people in front of me slowed down. So I did a little bit of that. Um, yeah, I think it, there's nothing wrong with it. Some of those hills are incredibly steep. The first one, like you kind of gradual and like lift up and then it's like you turn right and just go straight up. <laughs> That's the first time. And then you turn that corner and you just look up the hill, like, Oh boy, we got a lot more of this. So yeah. For sure. yeah. Well, that cool was race. impressive and it was fun watching you and yelling goose at the TV. <laughs> In the in the U23 classification, you finished second behind Hugo Lapalus, who was born two years before you. Other than Hugo, the youngest person who finished in front of you in the overall was five years older than you, which is remarkable. You did a fantastic job, and that's really amazing. Thanks. To me, this reflects something that we already know, how profound the effect of absorbing proper Nordic ski training over years is. Basically, you train... A bunch and hard and properly for years you get faster and that's reflected mm -hmm. in the results this has to make you feel really good for the future that you that you're at such a advanced such an advanced um status so earlier in your career really do you have any thoughts about the i mean that, that must give you a perspective that give you maybe a little more faith in what you're doing and perhaps patience yeah it's definitely encouraging um to have these results early but I think from the beginning of the season, I learned that you do have to be patient, especially in distance skiing, like to build the, that capacity and all those, like that physical infrastructure takes time. And, um, some people get really lucky and do well early. Some people do especially well, like Claybo and Bolshnov and they didn't really have to be that patient. So <laughs> not very happy with them, but uh, yeah, most, for most people, it does take a long time and, uh, whatever to trust yourself and do what you think 
keep doing what you think works for you probably will work eventually um, over time. So, yeah, that's yeah, a big thing I've learned from this. I guess not that you need this perspective, but I mean, I, um, I devoted my life to cross-country ski and cross-country ski racing. I was in the U.S. ski team for years. I was in the U.S. biathlon team for years. I trained. Uh, I was in the military to support that as well as other, but my bot bottom line is I trained full-time for Nordic ski racing. I was one of our country's best for years and I never got nearly as good as you are now, not even close and you're 20. So, you know, I could train my whole lifetime and never be as good as you are right now, which is really exciting and encouraging because you haven't even absorbed as you know, the years of training that you're going to. So I'm, I'm excited for you and, uh, excited to continue following you and, and encouraging you. Thanks. Yeah. And I think part of it is in the U S we know more about what you need, like the building blocks you need for that training. So, Definitely. I mean, all the, the years of people getting better and better before me has helped me to this point. So I'm Most, glad I'm in yeah, this for era. Sure. For sure. Most of my career career yeah. was trial and error trying to figure stuff out. <laughs> yeah <laughs> which isn't very productive you know if you have a, a, mm -hmm. a good coach and a and a proven kind of way for get from point a to point b to point c to point you know obviously that's productive but i just wanted to say good job and you know you're already better than Thanks. i've ever been so which is that's pretty <laughs> awesome um so this is something i'm really excited to hear about and that is i'm sure you're planning on competing in the tour de ski in the next few years what are some things you learned this time around that you're going to take a mental note of and tweak for the next time you do it? Um, I think, well, I didn't, I feel like I didn't do anything like glaringly wrong. I think I really, looking back, appreciate that I gave 100% to each race. I think it's easy probably to be like, oh, there are eight races. I can kind of sandbag this one, but looking at like the time gaps around me, I'm glad I pushed hard in every single race and tried to get as many seconds as I could, even if that race wasn't going that well. Um, but yeah, like process wise. Here's an example of something you mentioned. Yeah. Going into the uh, Alps Sarmis. It sounds like next time you're going to have a, a higher position in the pack when the climb yeah. starts. That, that's a great example. Yeah. That's a very specific one though. Other well, than a, that. Here's a question. Yeah. So here's an observation I made on the classic sprint day in Val de Femme, watching Federico Pellegrino. He was experimenting with the final descent into the finish line. And in the semifinals, he was visibly really frustrated. He was passed on the finish line so he qualified easily and he was top two in his heat in the semifinal, but he was visibly super frustrated. And what I saw was him trying different things and trying to figure out how he could get to the finish line. First, obviously he's smaller than a lot of the Russians and the, and Oscar Svensson. Uh, and he was trying to figure out how to get to the finish line first on that darn downhill. And he was visibly frustrated after getting second in that semifinal. And, um, and in the final, he waited. I think that was one reason why Oscar Svensson won. He was behind Svensson. And when Svensson made that move, Pellegrino waited even more. I think he was looking to get into third or fourth place. But at that point, he lost so much time to Svensson, the race was over. 
Um, mm-hmm. But he was visibly trying to figure that puzzle out, trying to solve the problem about how do I get to the finish line first during the event. It was really cool to watch. So that's kind of, I mean, he's obviously as experienced as anyone in the entire field. I think that's a very positive thought process to go through and to, you know, to figure things out. Also the, the pack tactics and what you did so fantastically in the mass start in Val de Femme. Have you got any other thoughts like that? Yeah. I mean, I could probably tell you three for every race of like specific things that I learned. Yeah. Th- this is what the people want to hear about. It's, it's really exciting <laughs> to hear, hear from me about that. Yeah. I, I think so in the first race, I could have started a little bit harder. I'm sorry. It was altitude and you said the first race, you're talking about first race. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. If you want me to go through all of it and Absolutely. tell you one yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, I'll do. Okay. Um, that first race I could have started harder. I think my split at half was pretty far back. So especially altitude, you kind of like maintain that a steady effort versus like ramping it up at the end is probably better, but yeah, that would be my thing from that qualifier. The next day we talked about like paying more attention to my physiological red, red flags at the top of the climb, which I learned better for the next day. And the next day, uh, maybe pushing those downhills harder, like Bolshnov and like dropping back. I did a little bit of that, like dropping back in the group and it felt like they were going too fast and then catching back up on the downhills, but I probably could have done that more. Um, that skate race. So now we're on toe block. Uh, yep. Yeah. Toe block skate. I could have probably helped push the pace with Spitzov through the flats first. Cause I think he was going a little slow. Maybe that would have come back to bite me, but that would have been something to play with. The next day, I probably wouldn't have led on the flat part on the last lap because that took some energy. Even if, like, the whole group was standing up, someone would have gone. I didn't have to do that. Um, I'm not, like, mad at myself for doing it, but next time I maybe wouldn't. Uh, The classic race, I would have tried to be as far forward in that group as I could over the top of that hill because I knew – I mean, I knew I wasn't going to win that heat, but – they kind of pulled up a little bit over the top and I was right there. Um, but if I was, if I was led that, I probably wouldn't have dropped down to fifth. Maybe I would have. Um, but I guess that's something that Pellegrino gets. I mean, he got three tries at that, which right. is kind of fun. And I'm glad to get one try at it, you know, in a classic sprint, I don't get a ton of tries, especially over here. Um, and the next day that, classic mass start I probably would have hung back a little bit over the top of the second to last climb the top of the course just to have slightly more energy for the last climb and then pushing over the top of that last climb would have been helpful I probably could have been fifth or sixth um then yeah the climb being in a better position at the beginning which is easier said than done uh but in the future, hopefully I'll have a better bib going into it. So it won't be as hard. It's one of those deals where other people have the same experience. So they're trying to get at the base of the hill. The, the pace picks up because people are getting getting into coveted positions. So you have to fight for those positions, I'm sure, huh? Yeah. I mean, you have to fight for them no matter what. So, but I mean, because if you fight for them early, then you don't, then you can recover on the Marzialaga trail. So, sure. But two Ks in is probably easier to move up than it is at five Ks where you're half a K before the 
before the start of the wall and oh, everyone's yeah. further in there. Yeah. You can't uh, you can't really move up on that that narrow trail. Yeah. You can move up on the Dre's trail, but right, right. not I move you could get a couple spots maybe on the Marty Long trail, but not much. So Gus, you mentioned you you've been tweaking like like all all ski racers, the and ski racers do all the time, tweaking technique and focusing on little things here and there. Um, you mentioned last time we talked that you were talking with Jan about techniques. Some um, from what I've gathered here, one thing obviously is just generally relaxing and kind of working into a race as compared to you know hammering out of the start. But um, sounds like your B one position is a little lower and you're using more legs, just focusing a little bit more on on that or anything you want to yeah v2 also um jan specifically told me to not tell too much about the technique secrets but i don't think it's that big a deal i think even if people hear it it's whatever um sorry but yeah just being a little lower and using the legs more and not like going up and down a ton not a lot of vertical vertical oscillation i realized i was working pretty hard to like get on top of my poles so to like not have to work as hard, not be as high and dramatically like hips up and all this like sexy sounding stuff. Um, cause it, it's harder work. So just to like, kind of keep a smoother power application, not necessarily like, like choppy, um, helps over a distance race. I think I've noticed, cool. um, and similar for classic, like keeping those hips a little lower and smoothing out the power application in distance mostly. I mean, people all ski differently. And like someone like Simi really skis with like sharp power applications, which works really well for sprinting and especially high speed stuff. Um, but yeah, I noticed, I think it does help me on some hills and 15 case. Yeah. It's fun to like play with that stuff and feel like you're actually making positive changes because, um, I've heard it said a bunch of times and I totally believe it that technique is the easiest way to get faster, especially at this level. When you're 12, you probably, you do 10 minutes about level three and you're immediately 3% faster. But um, now like once you've trained for a while, technique is the easiest way. Yeah. And uh, your thoughts on each of the races as well as on techniques. I appreciate you sharing that. But a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are junior racers and obviously coaches as well. And, and not only is it great for them to hear your thoughts like this, but also for them to realize that there's a lot of thinking going on in analysis and trying to, with your brain, get faster, not just with your body. And that that's, provides a really great example of, of finding time in a course and an improvement. So I appreciate you doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's good for me to do it because I definitely do some analysis, but this makes me do more analysis. <laughs> Saying it out loud does. Well, a couple more questions. First is, uh, have you got any thoughts on the U.S. ski team and your support network that you've had at the, at, for the year and on the tour? Um, it's been great. Yeah. Uh, I'm thankful to be supported on the B team. Uh, but, I mean, other than that, like, the coaches are – working hard and definitely have best interests in mind and team is fun to be around and professional without being uh too draining i guess like it's still light but people are definitely focused which i appreciate big time cool and uh obviously 
I'd love to hear your thoughts on Jesse Diggins' historic win in the Tour de Ski. Um, I think it's huge. It's easy to like for us to get caught up in our own days and our roommates' days and having it feel like we're going down to dinner and everything's the same, but that's a, a huge deal for her legacy and American skiing in the next five, 10 years. Uh, and just general exposure. I think it, it's hard to tell a little bit from being within like the world cup bubble kind of, but it definitely feels like, um, aside from the Olympic gold, this is getting a lot of exposure and she's done it in such a way that people, I think it really resonates with people just like seeing her do it because of, I don't know, her personality and how she markets herself, but, um, people are really happy for her and we're really happy for her, obviously. And it's cool to see. Yeah. It's cool to see her do so well over eight different races and she's become a really well-rounded athlete. For sure. There are world cup events coming up in first in Lati and then in Falun, Sweden, and then Ulrichsam, Sweden, and then Novemesto in the Czech Republic before the world championships in Oberstdorf, Germany. I'm sure you're going to take a well-deserved break now and try to recover and absorb the training effect of the tour. What are your plans? Where will you go for how long? And when do you expect to return to racing? I'm going to race in Lati and Falun. Wow. And possibly Ulrichsam, although it's pretty close to U23s. So I am focused on U23s pretty heavily. And I think that'll help set up for world championships well but yeah i'm going to go to lati and falloon and not put too much stress on those races but still race them well um and then focus on u23s is it uh, uh sovereign lake or silver where, where is u23s this year they're in vukati finland oh, they are. i think canada's canada's next year oh okay yeah Wait, um you don't have to go across the pond then that's awesome yeah that would be t- i think if they were if u23s are in canada i might have gone home now um but yeah i'll be over here and have some friends joining me for u23s and stuff so it should be fun super so how long are you going to stay in uh sites uh like eight days ish lati is you know in a week and a half so we leave right before then get a couple days or a day and a half before racing sweet and at this point, yeah. your plan is to race in Lati and in Falun, and then to focus on U23s. And after U23s, then straight to World Championships? Um, I think, yeah, I probably won't race Nove Mesto. Almost for sure not. Um, but I'll maybe go to Davos before World Championships. Just to train? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what the team's doing, so. Yeah. Well, this has been a great uh, conversation. Congratulations on a fantastic tour. I mean, um, like I said, you're second in the world U23 right now, and you've got three years left, I believe. Is it U23? I don't know when your birthday is. Two more years. Two more after this winter. Yeah, that's remarkable. Yeah. Congratulations on a fantastic tour, and I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. We've got a lot of followers, and I'm sure they're really enjoying this. Um, it was, again, it was uh, very rewarding to follow you during the Tour de Ski, and I wish you success in your recovery from the Tour and your preparation for the U23 and World Championships. I hope to catch up with you sometime in the next couple of weeks. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, good talk.